Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very you might not be glad that you did there was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. I have a very exciting episode today with two very special guests. Today, we will be discussing the recently announced restricted and banned list from Atomic Mass Games for Marvel Crisis Protocol. And to help us navigate this new document today and discuss all the great content in it, I have two experts, head of studio of Atomic Mass Games, Will Schick, and senior game developer, Will Pagani. First of all, thank you to you both for being here. And second of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty great. Yeah, we got sun finally after last week's rain so seattle's looking pretty nice and we're just moving along so i'm, I'm doing good yeah i'm doing well as as well will and jesse <laughs> that's right i like it well as well yeah things are great obviously <laughs> <laughs> good things are happening we've got a great topic today you guys kind of dropped this on the community out of nowhere which is very exciting to start off with just the idea of the banned and restricted lists where did this initial idea come from? Sure. The original kind of like genesis of the restricted list was something we talked about before we'd even announced the game when we were working on it. Obviously, one of the big things for us is that we want Marvel Crisis Protocol to be something that touches every corner of the Marvel Universe. We want to explore all of the characters and the different worlds and story arcs and everything in there, right? So you can't do that overnight. The way that we approach the game is that, you know, we want it to last, you know, decades if possible, as long as we can possibly get out of it. But the thing is, is that with that in mind, knowing that you have such a long and bright future ahead of you, there's no way that you can even try to play test things that you don't even know exist yet. So when you're looking at a, at a game that is going to have a very long lifespan and, and encompass a whole lot of things that haven't even been thought of yet, it's important that you kind of bake in from the front end an ability to address unforeseen issues or interactions, things that you didn't 
know at the time we're going to come despite your best efforts to try to be as careful as possible. And we do a lot of testing and we do a lot of discussion about things as we generate them. But we knew that we weren't going to catch everything and that eventually we were going to be put into a situation where maybe we would have something that slipped through or because of the way old rules were written, they didn't interact well with new rules. And so having the, the ability to be able to organically address that and make sure that the game experience remained as fun and as exciting and as, you know, just as Marvel as possible was something that we knew we wanted in. So the restricted list, you know, you'll see that language in our original organized play documents and things like that. So it's something we always knew we'd keep in our back pocket to utilize. And we've just reached that point now after almost a year of Marvel Crisis Protocol releases that it was time to kind of start implementing some of the things we had seen trend-wise and things that we knew were coming up based on where the future was going now that we're really far ahead on um, future Marvel Crisis Protocol development as well. Can't deny any of that. I guess the question going further from that was you talked about things have been designed. You can't plan for everything. That aside, what's just the logic of like choosing inclusions in this document before we actually get into like what they are, just how does that work? I think the things that are candidates for inclusion here, they're, they're sort of twofold. Or are we going to restrict a card? Or are we going to ban a card? And I think whenever Shik and I were sitting down and originally drafting this list, it was definitely a everything kind of starts as restricted. So let's talk about what'll get you on the restricted list, I guess. The concepts that will get you there. The goal of the restricted list is to promote diversity in the game, give people more reasons to take other options. And the restricted list does a really good job with that because as cards get added to the restricted list, as as things get added to the restricted list, it essentially forces diversity because you can only take so many things that are the best thing, right? Because everyone's trying to build the best roster they can. They're trying to build the most efficient roster they can. Uh, and we want to give people a reason to take maybe some of the less efficient items or some of the the more exciting items versus the, like, this is just a great number on a card. Um, and putting items on a restricted list says, hey, if you're going to take from the top of the pool, from the, the cream of the crop, you can only take two. And then from there, you can start taking other cool stuff, right? You can start taking some special moves. You can start taking Ricochet Blast. You can start taking Get Help. Sorry, uh, Sibling <laughs> Rivalry. My mistake. We never made we a didn't. card. We didn't. Not once. <laughs> we didn't. Never happened. As players build through the roster system, what this does is it, it gives them more options, right? And one of the things that always breaks my heart as a game developer is when I see a player say, I feel like I have to take this because it's so right. good or something, right? What that implies to me is that they're taking something that they don't necessarily want to take, but they feel like they have to to play the game. And and that's never our goal here, right? Like we want you to be able to take the cards you want to play. We want you to be able to play the characters you want to play. So the restricted list here kind of gives people that freedom back by reducing the number of things they quote unquote have to play, which I'm, I'm not a huge believer in that mentality anyway, but that's an entirely different discussion. <laughs> and then of course, from a, a narrative perspective, right? Like it's going to, hopefully the goal of this is to get more of the exciting, interesting narrative tactic cards uh, into the game and less of the sort of like, I played a med kit because it's good. And we can get more of the Loki flew across the board and smacked into Thanos and now he's staggered, right? Like that's the exciting stuff to me as a, as a game designer and as a game developer to see on the table. So jumping off what you were just talking about, Pagan, you're talking about players having the feeling of having to take cards maybe to be competitive or to fit in. And I think an example of that, which you guys clearly have on this list is drop off. Drop off seems like one of the cards that if you had a flyer in your list, it probably is always a consideration or 
even you felt compelled you had to take it. We're getting into the cards now. So I think drop off is a good place to start because it's kind of its own entity on here. Mm-hmm. It's not even on the restricted list. It's on the ban list, right? Yeah. So kind of to dive into the drop-off discussion, it is a different thing. So the restricted list, you know, like Pagani mentioned, aims to add back player choice by actually taking some player choice away, right? Which makes it kind of an interesting Pandora's box in a, in a manner. It's like, well, now you can't take anything you want, but by doing so, now you can take even more things. More things are worthy of consideration. The band list removes those choices entirely. And we had a lot of internal debate about whether or not we would have a band list, what that would mean would we implement it? But the thing that really brought it to a head and initiated the discussion was, again, like we kind of talked about, you don't know what the future brings, right? So when we were initially designing the game, Drop-Off was a great thematic card. It had a lot of like Marvel narrative to it with flyers dropping off their friends so that they could get into position to make attacks and get into the thick of the action faster. And within the the set of what we were developing at the time, which was, you know, 50 some characters in that initial kind of like launch playtesting cycle, and design cycle, you know, it didn't have this far-reaching impact. It seemed to work fine. We were testing it really regularly, and it was powerful for sure, but it wasn't having a negative impact on our ability to design. What we found, though, is as we continue to move forward, and obviously as you continue to practice within a system, this is true of game design or development or anything else, you begin to get better at it. You start to see more potential. You start to unlock certain ticks, tricks and, and ways in which you can stretch your wings even further within the system that you've built we quickly discovered that drop-off was becoming more and more of a limiting factor. And this is problematic in a lot of ways because what we're trying to do at the end of the day is to accurately and faithfully translate these characters from, a, from the comics onto a tabletop. And so there are just things that are iconic of certain characters that you want to make sure you have rules for that they do on the tabletop. They have to feel like the character. You know, specifically in this instance, the thing that generated the conversation was when we were working on Cable who, spoiler alert, is another um, new X-Man character that is coming to the game. You know, we had a great design for Cable. We had a development rule set that was working really well with the design. The playtesters were really enjoying what he was bringing to the table with his skills and his suite of abilities. But one thing kept coming up, and that's that he was too effective with drop-off. And to be fair, this wasn't the first time we had heard this complaint with drop-off. Like, drop-off is an extremely powerful card because it has so many variables. And Pagani can talk a little bit about why drop-off is kind of a problematic issue when it comes to, like, all of the things that we're talking about here because of how wide-sweeping and how variable its effects can be. But at the end of the day, the discussion became, well, we could try to address the, the issues by toning Cable down or changing his abilities. But doing so left us with a character that was not as true to the comic book form as the one we had. And we knew we had a real special kind of character on our hands based on the feedback we were getting in isolation from drop-off with the character. You know, we had already had certain issues where we had had to go back and address characters in lieu of what drop-off brought to the table and how it could change game states. And now with Cable, it was one where we were finally at a point to where I just felt like, okay, we have to have the conversation now of if drop-off is the problem and will continue to be a problem moving forward, then why do we have drop-off? What's more important? A single tactic card that was created at the genesis of the game, not knowing all the information, or the ability to faithfully and accurately represent these characters in exciting and fun ways within the game system that we have. And I think, you know, for us, the answer was very clear. It was drop-off kind of needed to go the way of the dodo and be sacrificed to the empire so that the game itself could continue to thrive, evolve and become even more exciting. And so that's what led to drop off really like hitting the band list. And that, that really is what the band list in general is for. It's for these cards that 
really limit our ability to do what we want to do and what draws everybody to the game, which is make really cool Marvel characters and play awesome narrative battles on a tabletop with those characters. And again, you know, we, we work really, really hard and we do a lot of testing and months and months of it to make sure that these kinds of issues don't happen. But again, when you're talking about a game as broad and as expansive and with as long of a future as Marvel Crisis Protocol, it's inevitable that these things are going to happen. And then how do you address those? And so this was the way that we felt was the best way forward. And, and we learned a lot of lessons from it. And some of those lessons I'm sure Pagani can point out right now. Yeah. So Shik was talking about why drop-off is a problematic card. And, and the reason for that was variability, right? When we created the card, there were only medium speed flyers. There was one 50 millimeter base flyer at the time, right? In that sort of vein, like the card is very powerful, right? It's not crazy, right? And cable doesn't fly. So that's not how cable was right. being problematic with it. It was cable being dropped off. But the idea, right, is how many variables should there be in a card? And how many variables can you account for when you're playtesting, right? And as we've developed the game more, we realize that the number of variables in drop-off is astronomically high. The movement speed of the flying character, that's an easy variable, right? We know it's short, medium, or long. The base size of the flying character, we know it's the three base size options, 35, 50, 65. The base size of the character you're dropping off is relevant, right? Because that increases the movement because of how crisis protocol measures range. The range of the attacks of the person you're dropping off, right? So now you can have a character that's being placed range five after base sizes and things like that, that then makes range four and five attacks. Like it's too far. It does too much. It's too efficient, right? And sure, I'm sure we could have peered into the divining glass and been like, eventually we're going to make an Angela that's a long move speed with a 50 millimeter base that has flight, but it's just not something that we did. And we would, as Shake has pointed out, much rather create exciting, interesting new characters than constantly be hamstrung by drop-off. Can't argue with that. And I just love the idea of you guys talking about this being on the ban list because you just opened up a slot in everybody's serious tournament list. Yep. You know, and this is not going to change a lot for home gamers and kitchen table gamers. So that's exciting as well too. So getting back to the restricted list, because this is really the meat of our discussion and kind of the basis of this going forward, I assume. So you guys gave a great introduction to how it's decided what goes on it, how it's created. Let's get into these cards now, because these are some interesting choices. And Pagani, you already mentioned too, that you can only take two of these cards and then you kind of go from there, maybe choose something more exciting like that ricochet blast, which we don't see often enough and we should narratively. It'd be so neat. So I guess what are the decisions that came into play where you guys met together as a team and chose these five in particular? Yeah, so the first four cards, I guess, I guess first might not be right. I'm not actually sure the order they're listed, but there's a chunk of four of the cards that are all very similar cards. They all deal with mitigating damage or healing, right? It is Brace for Impact, Patch Up, Med Pack, and Field Dressing. <sighs> Free Recall, here we go. Those four cards all have sort of a couple things in common. One, they're all about mitigating damage or removing damage from characters, right? Which means they're going to always be good. Every game you play, characters are going to take damage. So all of those effects will be useful in 100% of the games you play. And that, to me, is why they are so commonly taken, right? Their popularity of taking all four of those cards in a roster, or taking three out of those four cards in a roster, right? We see as an issue, right? We, we want people to take the exciting stuff. We want people to take the flavorful stuff. We want people to do the other things. So not to say that these cards aren't exciting or flavorful, right? But 
I mean, they're, they're just not on the same level necessarily as these things. And being unaffiliated and being not tied to specific characters creates this ubiquitous nature of these cards where they just end up everywhere. And as I said, that's not necessarily a problem, but it's not really what we had envisioned, right? So putting all four of those cards on the restricted list does a good job of saying, hey, you had eight cards to play with and four of them were filled with those four cards. You only really had four cards to play with. Well, now you can only take two of those, so you have six cards to play with. So we've given you sort of that plus 50% more play with cards, I guess, where you can try out new things. You can do you can do other cards, you can do character-specific cards, you can do affiliation cards, right? And, and that's really our hope here uh, for those four cards. I don't know if Shake has anything to add on that. I mean, I think the big thing, again, just to reiterate, is the idea that by limiting or adding restrictions to these certain ubiquitous cards that are always applicable, it frees up players to be able to say, okay, well, I didn't, maybe you didn't particularly want to take those cards because you want to take the flashy stuff. You want to take the humorous narrative stuff, but you felt by not doing so, you know, you were making less optimal choices. Now what happens is, is because those cards have a limitation, you know, they've wound up on this list for that reason. You are coming to the table with the exact same necessary like power set, right? You're coming with the exact same value of cards because each of you are only taking two of these cards, but you're given the opportunity now to create some really interesting and strategic list building options, right? Because which two cards you take are going to be very much indicative of what you're trying to do on the tabletop and how they play with your other tactic cards and the characters on there. So I think one of the things that draws people to really diving into miniatures games and collectible card games and things like that is the customization potential. Being able to like think through these puzzles and come up with what your list does and how it wants to function and things like that. By having things that are ubiquitous in nature because they're on that end of the power curve. And like I always like to say, we're not trying to design checkers. The goal is not that everything is just a red or a black chit that moves exactly the same way. We're always going to have a power curve. That's how you make a game interesting. Our job as developers and designers is to make sure that curve is as close as possible so that, you know, the low end and the high end are as, as near as they can to be each other while still making interesting choices and interesting interactions. But again, by kind of adding that limitation, now you have that freedom, you have that flexibility to say, okay, I've taken my most optimal choices. I filled those slots. What do I want to fill the rest of my slots with? What is going to make my list really sing? And that's where you're going to get that diversity and that interest and the different kind of like strategy and tactics that you're going to see on the tabletop. That's going to make the game even more enjoyable from both a thought exercise and a play exercise in our opinion. I absolutely agree. And I think if anything, this is really freeing, like we said, with the drop off. But at the same time, I think two is still really generous. If people really like these cards, I think they can narrow down the two that especially speak to them. So the one on this list for me is I just really like field dressing. But, you know, only two from this list, I think people are going to know which ones go with them. But also, as you said, Shik, it depends on the characters depends on the list and i think that's really interesting as well and then now it kind of opens up the entire window of everything supplementing it that's not a restricted card and i'm very happy about that we got to talk about this last card on here because you mentioned the four that were all mitigating damage or healing of some form but of course the fifth card on here has nothing to do with that at all it's in fact quite the opposite really aggressive (laughs) more damage based card say it lightly so how did Doom Prophecy get chosen to be put on this list? The really big thing with Doom Prophecy as we looked at it was this card is not ubiquitous, right? It doesn't show up in every list. Right. It doesn't, it's not as commonplace because of its restrictions and kind of what it wants to do. But the thing with it is that we found that 
you know, in, in situations, it can, can create gotcha moments because it's kind of an all or nothing card. So you can roll up, you can throw this card into your list, and then you can play it in a situation and maybe it blows out the game or maybe it doesn't. And the thing is, is that those kinds of things where you have sudden surges and like, oh, Black Widow rolls up, she throws down Doom Prophecy, she dazes four characters. That can be a positive experience. Like it's a learning experience for your opponent because it, it's not great for them, right? They, they're in a big backfoot situation, but you can still have that, oh my gosh, like it worked, right? But it's a negative experience if a player is not expecting it, if, if it's just like a random lottery ticket that just happens to pay out, right? So the idea with putting a card like Doom Prophecy on the restricted list is that it forces players to think more about why they're putting that card in their list and to build more towards it. It also telegraphs to their opponents who may or may not be as aware or you know as practiced with the game that this is something they should watch for. It's helped smooth the player experience both ways. There's less of a got you. There's more of a there's more of a direct kind of thought process involved in doing kind of a big Rube Goldberg turn where you're going to play Doom Prophecy and everything's going to go right. Like maybe you're going to take Doom Prophecy, you're going to take all you've got, and you're going to go for that super turn, right? Which is a viable tactic. It may work, it may not. But now by putting Doom Prophecy on the restricted list, you're making a conscious choice to do that. You're also kind of giving your opponent a heads up that, hey, this is something that I've chosen to do. So that they can be better prepared to kind of counterplay around it. And it leads overall to a more positive game experience in the end, right? And that's one of the things that we really want to do as well, especially in organized play. Because one of the things with our organized play is that, as we've mentioned before, it's very play-focused, right? Nothing that we do from the organized play standpoint is designed to cut to a winner. You're going to go, you're going to play your games, you're going to have a lot of fun, and everybody's going to get rewarded the same way. And we're doing that because we want everyone from all different aspects to feel welcome and invited to come get the cool stuff with their local gaming communities, right? So you're going to get people who play primarily at their kitchen table with their friends and their their family. And you get the people who are going to, you know, more competitive events that are being run by their communities that are interested in finding out who has the best skills, who can cut the best list, those kinds of things. And so we saw this kind of as a way to kind of help smooth out that that interaction between those two sides when they meet. Because now you're going to look at it. One, if that player is building towards that, you're going to see that that's on their restricted card. That player is going to be aware of that because they've come to this event and they're going to know, okay, I at least need to ask what this card does, right? Or I need to review what this card does. And then they're going to see that and it's going to hopefully help make that experience. If it happens, one of those more, oh my gosh, you totally pulled it off. That's amazing. Rather than a, I didn't see this coming. And now I, you know, I kind of feel like I have a negative takeaway from this game because I got caught by surprise or my opponent just got lucky, like those kinds of things. And we can't control, you know, how players react to a situation, but we can certainly try to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that the interactions are as positive and as fun as they possibly can be in the ways that we think we can affect it. Yeah. And I like that all you've got's not on here. So it kind of leaves you guys saying that that card's normal, but then of course, Doom Prophecy, if you really want to go this route, that's one of your two choices. You're really locking into that. And it kind of forces even those players to even more tunnel vision on that strategy, which, you know, if it's an aggro strategy, that's fine. And that's cool. But at the same time too, not just like they have every tool (laughs) out there you know, to do this gotcha, blow away a new player, you know, who might have a core set in a couple expansions, which is never good. And that I think is is really the the point of this inclusion here, right? It's it's not so much that like, we want to get rid of it or anything like that, right? Because we don't like, it's actually a really fun and interesting idea when it happens, but we want to increase the opportunity cost that a player is going to take if they're going to make that kind of roster. So it's it's sort of a way for us to change the cost of talking like, from a very meta game, I guess, actual definition of meta game, not 
never mind. <laughs> That's a different discussion. <laughs> but yes, truly, actually defined metagame choices are are sort of the reason that this one is included on the, on the restriction. So going forward with the life of the game, obviously this is something that you guys just dropped and this is going to be a permanent staple going forward. So when deciding the future life of the game when it comes to events and people getting together and playing with this list, as we mentioned, what's the plan going forward? I know you already talked about some things you can't foresee, some you, you do. Is there a design space here? Also moving forward, what's the, I guess, future of this banned and restricted list and the way of just goals, I guess, for the community? I mean, I think as far as like the banned side of it goes, right, that is primarily a tool for us to address issues that may curtail character design or fun options in the future when it comes to expressing characters on the tabletop. Or if there's an unforeseen interaction in which we do miss something in testing, which is very possible, right? We're humans. Mistakes will happen no matter how much eyes you put on things. Fortunately, that's just not something that we've been able to solve yet, although we continue to work very hard on doing so. The ban list gives us a way to address those things in the ever-growing like landscape that is Marvel Crisis Protocol. So in that sense, you know, cards will wind up on the ban list when they prove to be detrimental to the game experience or detrimental to the continued evolution and growth of the game. So certainly not something that we plan for, right? If we do our jobs the way that we would ideally want to and grab the brass ring, it's that no card ever winds up on the ban list. You have the tool, but you never use it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's always the goal. But I guess going forward with the restricted list, and it it does feel more free just with the option of only selecting two. What's the plan with that? For the restricted list, I mean, the goal, once again, would be to never put another card on the restricted list, right? But but I think that's that's silly. Yeah. Like there, there will obviously be additional cards added in the future. We we don't like that, but that's that's just the reality of life. And I I think where where you're kind of going here, Jesse, is is like what does this document look like in a year? What does it look like in two years? That kind of thing, right? And in terms of like frequency of update, well, I I mean I I don't think we can put an exact schedule on something like that. I I can tell you that I I would be very surprised were it a monthly document mm. like the FAQ. <laughs> I think that is is very counter to what we're looking for, right? Because we want to make these changes and then we, we don't want to do it again ever. So we will use it as sparingly as possible going forward. But I think as the game continues to grow and, and we end up with, I mean, God, I don't even know how many tactic cards there are right now, 150. As we end up with 300, if we end up with 500 cards. I mean, Shake talked about 20 years from now, we're still making this game as we end up with 3,000 tactic cards. Like I, I'm sure there will be more cards added to this as we go. And it's just something that we're going to keep an eye on, right? We're, we're very active in the community. We're very active watching the results of different events and things like that. We got a lot of really great information out of the Gen Con event that we ran. So keeping an eye on all those things and staying plugged in, I, I think is our, our biggest tool in seeing how players are interacting with the game and how they're interacting with the restricted list and what their, what their goals are. So I, I think that's sort of the forward motion of the list. I think there are a couple things that are also worth mentioning for the future of the list. One, that both lists, uh, ban and restricted, now it's pretty unlikely that anything really, or that drop-off comes off the ban list because of why it's there. But both of these lists are fluid. We can add and we can remove cards from these lists. So just because a card is on the list now does not necessarily mean it will always be on the list. Um, so don't go like setting all your stuff on fire on a YouTube video or something, because it might come back. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> Because as the game develops and as the game continues, right, like the value of cards will change. That's just how an evolving game works. 
So perhaps in a year, patch up doesn't need to be on this list or whatever, then we can take it off. Uh, also definitely worth mentioning, currently there are only tactic cards on this list. That is not the only option. In the future, we could put crisis cards, we could put infinity gems, we could put some other type of card that gets made, right? All of these are, are options when talking about the reserve of the ban list, right? But notice that there is something that I definitely just left off of that list. Our goal and hope and extreme hope is that we never have to restrict or ban a character. It would take an awful lot for that to happen because these are miniatures that you have purchased and assembled and painted. Like one of the core pillars, if you've ever listened to any of our streams when we talk about the, the core game, right? and how we designed it and our goals for it and all those things like that is that you get to play with the characters that you want to play with and you never feel bad about that right like that is one of the primary things in crisis protocol is that you the player get to make your story you get to make your thing and and that is so important to us that doing something like banning a character or restricting a character would have to be apocalyptic level like issues i hope to never have to do that i would probably literally cry <laughs> like, i think the community would too even yeah. if there's stronger characters out there the way you guys have designed the game as shik said earlier too i mean the ebb and flow and the power curve and everything in the game is you guys have designed in a way where i think that's balanced even when there's maybe slightly stronger characters or characters with a higher ceiling to learn well that's just a, a fun challenge i think a character that's maybe if you're real well versed in them they really do perform but maybe First couple times you play that particular character, they might not click for you. I'm glad to hear that, and the characters ideally never making the list. But also, I'm intrigued too that the idea of if there are problematic crises in the future, that you know you guys will keep an eye on that too. I think at the end of the day, you know the the core goal for the expansion, if that becomes required for the list, is that any inclusion that we make to that list, speaking of the restricted stuff specifically, is always about making the game experience more fun, more positive, more enjoyable. We're not trying to curtail anyone's excitement or fun that they're having. What we're doing is we're looking at how do we how do we prune? How do we manage the gardenscape that is Marvel Crisis Protocol and keep it as healthy and as robust and as as awesome as possible? And, you know, sometimes you got to you got to trim a branch or two off of a plant to make that that whole composition look really great. And I don't think anyone in the community is going to disagree with you guys on any of this. I think it's exceptional choices. And as you said, hopefully nothing makes it on and past this point, but you know, you said it's an organic document. It, it could change. It could add, remove, which I think is the whole reason this exists, which is great. And last thing I want to talk about that we haven't touched on, which I think will probably be brief, but I do like that you guys mentioned in this document that wanting to make exciting experiences for players across all forms of the game, whether that be an event, an organized play scenario, or an ultimate encounter. That was something that I was not necessarily expecting on this. And I actually do really like it because first of all, it's it's blanket across the board. But was there any scenarios where you guys were just like, ah, we don't want drop off when you fight Thanos? Uh, I mean, I don't think any specifically come to mind. Okay. But I, I know there are definitely some like ultimate encounters that were changed that I don't think have been even teased yet because we're like, well, if you have drop off, you can just trivially complete this objective. Right. Right. So, and, and that's never fun for the designers, right? No. <laughs> so it, it's not even just that it was very strong and normal standard crisis protocol games. It was, it was narrative scenarios. It was ultimate encounters. And, that, and, and it wasn't just one character, right? We weren't like, we're banning drop off because we want to make cable awesome. <laughs> right? Like this is, this, as Shik said at the very beginning of this, this was a recurring <laughs> problem by its removal. 
it really gives us a lot of breathing room and a lot of exciting stuff. I can't necessarily speak for the community as a whole, but I can't speak for myself. I would gladly give up drop off <laughs> to get cable in the game. So I think well, it's a worthwhile trade. And I know my co-host Chris would get rid of it five times in a row. So you have made that trade whether or not you know it. Yeah. <laughs> we traded up. This is good. So <laughs> I just thought that was interesting because you guys specifically mentioned like these scenarios and ultimate encounters as well. And I thought that was great because of course this is a blanket statement too. It's really easy to keep this in your mind. Oh, I can't take all the heel cards on this one ultimate encounter. You know, you got to choose the two. And I just was curious on just the mindset of that. And I assumed it was just you guys making the game, this just blanket across the whole game. That's a completely accurate kind of assessment, right? It's we're looking at the game holistically, not from one venue. We're like people will play Marvel Crisis Protocol ideally in the way that makes it the most fun for them, whether that's the basic 1v1, whether that's ultimate encounters, whether that's narrative organized play scenarios and events that are coming out like Vibranium Heist. However, they choose to like find their joy and their fun in Marvel Crisis Protocol we want to make sure that that experience is as smooth and as as even as possible across all realms. And because they all share a core system and a core mindset and mentality, and those changes always apply pretty much everywhere, right? Drop-off does what drop-off does in every single different scenario or game mode, just as field dressing or patch-up or any of those other ones, right? So it's not like we are trying to tailor-tune these lists to a specific game mode. We're just looking at the game holistically and the expression and the enjoyment that people are going to get out of it, regardless of how they choose to engage. I'm all about that. I I guess in closing, I want to know where everyone can find you guys. I I know probably most people know you guys and what you do, but as an outro here, I'd love to hear what you do at Atomic Mass and where people can find you online or just, you know, anything you guys are currently working on that you're excited about. It's a fun place to do that. You're the boss. I am the boss. So I'm Will Schick. I'm the head of studio for Atomic Mass Games. Uh, basically what that means is that I oversee and run the studio from basically all aspects, creative, business, and marketing-wise. I also happen to get to be the designer behind Marvel Crisis Protocol, so I design the core rules and the game system, and then I also do most of the character design. And I work very closely with Pagani to turn those designs into actual rules and and playable game kind of cards and stuff. Miniatures are basically my my hobby passion. I've been doing them since I was like eight years old. And it's just been a lifelong kind of thing. So when I'm not working, I'm typically painting or playing other games. Like I, it sounds really silly to say, but that's just what I do. I, you know, I've always got a board game out on the table with the family or I'm sitting here at my desk, like painting away on now my Marvel Crisis Protocol characters for the most part, because I do get to get a few things early. So I'm always like excited to crack them out. I know the guy shaking his fist at me, but yep. I, whenever we have extras, you get them too. Let's not, that's one sided. Dallas has us all beat. He gets everything like super early. It's true. Works for the job. But yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of hobbying and, and just enjoying the miniatures enthusiast that I am, you know, every once in a while I play a video game, but that's pretty rare. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't get the TV anymore. I have kids. They own that thing now. I'm Will Pagani. I am the senior developer at Atomic Mass Games. I take the mad ramblings of a genius and try and distill them into something consumable for people. <laughs> sometimes we fail, sometimes we succeed, as many things in life. Yeah, I, much like Schick, I'm a big gamer myself. I do a lot of uh, hobbying stuff, so I do a lot of painting, a lot of terrain painting recently. I play a lot of video games, unlike Schick, usually in like the MOBA or Battle Royale sections uh, for stuff. And I also have kids, so I've been watching the same monkey documentary <laughs> on repeat for a few days. Oh, man. So, which is lovely. 
That's lovely. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I do. You really know your monkeys now, specifically macaque monkeys. Wow, no, no other kinds. Japanese so. snow macaques are the best monkey. <laughs> they spend their entire lives in hot tubs. Uh, this is my spirit monkey. <laughs> As a man who loves a good hot tub, <laughs> who doesn't love a good hot tub? Come on. The monkeys have it figured out. True. So in the scheme of just you guys on online or can people follow you or anything like that? We usually push most people towards the atomic mass game stuff. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. So at atomic mass games on Twitter, shake, you know, the Instagram, I think it's atomic mass transmissions, atomic mass transmissions, atomic underscore mash underscore transmissions. Cause you can never make it simple. So there you go. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you guys' time and this is a fun outro. Just getting a little snippet. I like to have you guys back on the show one day for an actual proper interview series, which is a different entity altogether. Today, it was really nice to talk about this big announcement you guys had for the community and just kind of like dissect it. And hopefully we got it in a concise format. And I feel like I have really good understanding of you guys' intentions going forward with this, which is hopefully what people gathered at home as well. So appreciate your time. Can't wait to talk more Marvel Crisis Protocol in the future. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Jesse. Cheers and thank you. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Of course, catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. You can follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. You can follow me on social media at Jesse Aiken. And check out my other podcast, Project Starhawk, which is all about the upcoming Star Wars Squadrons games. You can also follow my co-host Chris on social media at Chris Bruffett. Most importantly, a huge thank you to Will and Will today for your time and for this wonderful document. I cannot wait for the future of Marvel Crisis Protocol. Thanks for listening. True believers. The world has gotten even stranger. That you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 